Welcome to Lessons for Life, where we seek to learn, love, and live the Word of God. Now, here is James Long, Jr. Well, hello, everyone. This is James Long, Jr., and today I want to talk to you from Psalm 54, and we want to talk about a God that upholds you, the creator God, the ruling God, the personal God who is with you when you feel hopeless and abandoned and betrayed by by people in this world, that that God is with you always. It says here, to the choir master with string instruments, a mascal of David, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? Well, here's the passage in Psalm 54. It says, O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. With a freewill offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies." May God add his blessing to the reading of his sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, and life-changing word. Would you pray with me? So, Lord, we praise you and thank you, and we pray that as we, we come to this passage today, I pray that you would remind us that you are a the creator God, you are the ruling God, you are the covenantal and personal God. As David was going through his trials and his troubles, he turned to you, help us to do the same. When he was feeling betrayed and hopeless and abandoned, he turned to a God that he could trust in. So, Lord, I pray that you would remind us what David was going through. Put us there and remind us. But then even deeper than that, Father, put us at the foot of the cross and the empty tomb and remind us that your son is risen, exalted, and seated at your right hand right now, and that he is interceding for us as believers and help us to bring glory, honor, and majesty to his name. In Jesus' matchless, holy, and powerful name we pray. Amen and amen. Thirteen of the Psalms have historical titles, and they include Psalm 3 and 7, 1834, 51 and 52, 54 and 56, 57 and 60, 63 and 142. Now, the titles of these Psalms, these historical titles, give us evidence that there is a specific time and place where this psalm occurred. And we believe in interpreting Scripture with Scripture. So this this ability to do that, to take Scripture and interpret other Scriptures, are helpful when there is a historical perspective that's connected to it. Well, this story here in Psalm 54 is connected to a story that happened in David's life in 1 Samuel chapter 23. 
Now, as David is on the run from Saul, he is being pursued by Saul. And what we find in 1 Samuel chapter 23, it says this in verse 15. David saw that Saul had come to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father knows this. What an incredible comfort there must have been for David. David is on the run. He's afraid. He is being pursued by Saul. We've already seen in chapters before that that Saul has gone so murderous that he was willing to murder a group of priests because he actually thought they were acting in treasonous ways and that they had turned their back on Saul. So Saul has become so wicked, so evil, and he is murderous in his jealousy, and he's trying to prevent prevent David from getting to the throne. But Jonathan comes and he strengthens, in verse 16, his hand in God. And then what he does is he reminds him not only of the person of God, but he reminds him of the promises of God, which is so encouraging. I believe that David has this exact moment in time in his mind as he's writing Psalm 54. It goes on to tell us that the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, and he and they said this in verse nineteen: Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horash? Now they saw that David was there hiding, and they went right to Saul to tell him. Which is amazing is that David was fleeing from Saul. He went into the wilderness of Ziph. It's in a region of the town of Ziph, which is located approximately three miles south of Hebron. The Ziphites supported Saul and reported back to David, um, reported back to Saul, that David was hiding in the area. Can you believe that they were part of David's tribe of Judah? Instead of supporting David, they actually supported Saul. And as a result, you would have expected that they would have supported their own countryman, but they didn't. They betrayed him. And their betrayal was thwarted because the providential work of God was at hand. See, even when people betray you and abandon you, even when you feel betrayed and abandoned and hopeless, I need you to know that God is still at work. When you have believed that there was no one else in your life that you can trust, when you believe that there's no one that you can rely upon, trust in God's trustworthiness. So here's, here's the principle I want you to hear tonight. As we go through times of significant hurt and betrayal, we must place our faith in and worship our creator God, ruling God, and personal God. Okay, did you catch it? Here's the key principle. As we go through times of significant hurt and betrayal, we must place our faith in and worship our creator God, ruling God, and personal God. Okay, so let's go back to Psalm 54. Now we've gotten the historical backdrop to Psalm 54, that it was when the Ziphites went to Saul and said that he was hiding. And we've already read the psalm together, so now let's see the psalm in its sections. And the sections break down this way. Verses 1 through 3 make up the request in prayer. 
the request in prayer. Now, David's going to make a series of requests to God. He's going to do that in prayer. And that's how he begins the psalm. The middle section, so it's verses 1 through 3 for the request in prayer. Verses 4 through 5 are the reassurance in the person and promises of God. Reassurance in the person and promises of God, verses 4 through 5. And then he ends his psalm with this. A response of praise, verses 6 through 7. A response of praise. So we have the request in prayer, reassurance in the person and promises of God, and the response of praise. Okay, so now let's look at this. He begins here and he says, O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. So the psalmist offers a prayer for salvation and vindication. And you see his first request here, his first request is, save me. And he says, save me by your name. Now, in all likelihood, the salvation he's looking for is earthly. He's looking to be protected from Saul and those coming after him. And we ask for that same thing in our lives. We ask for God to protect us physically. But the salvation that we understand is even greater than that. It's not just physical and not just earthly, and it's not just temporal. It's eternal. It's it's heavenly. It is purchased by the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, save me, Lord, request number one. The second one is vindicate me. Vindicate me. Judge me rightly. He has been judged unfairly. He has been unfairly accused. He wants to be acquitted by God, and we want that as well. We want our name to be vindicated. He says, vindicate me, Lord, by your might by your strength. And that vindication looks to justification. So justification by faith is the work of God to save us, to vindicate us. We've got a huge dilemma. We are separated from God because of our sin and that God cannot have us in his presence because of our sin. And the dilemma is is that we can't do anything about it. We were born with a nature of sin And then on top of that, we sin every single day. And the issue is that we cannot be accepted before God based on what we do alone. Our righteousness is not good enough. Our righteousness is like filthy rags, as the Old Testament says. So what's the answer? What God has done for us is he removed our sin that separated us from God, and then he gives us righteousness that we need to be accepted by him. So the beauty of salvation of justification is this. Because of our dilemma that we are separated from God because of our sin, there is nothing that we could ever do to make that right. We could not be accepted before God just as we are. We could not be accepted by God by the works that we do. So we need a Savior. We need someone that's going to do something for us. And that's exactly what God has done. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So what happens is there was this great exchange that God has removed our sin that separated us from God. He placed that on his son, that Christ bore that for us. We saw that in Isaiah chapter 53, if you read that chapter, a beautiful chapter, but surely he bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. 
and by his wounds we are healed. See, what God did was he removed our sin from us that separated us from him. But the second part of this is so needed. We needed a righteousness that we could be accepted by him. And so what he did for us in Christ is that Christ lived perfectly from the womb all the way to the grave so that we could be viewed as righteous in his sight. So David is crying out here, save me, Lord, and then vindicate me. And now he makes a third request, hear me, give ear to my prayers. Oh, that is so important that we have a God that can hear you and desires to hear you. And watch how David doubles up here in verse two. He says, hear my prayer and then give ear to the words of my mouth. He says those two things. It's a parallel relationship. He is saying that he needs God to hear his prayer. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says this, cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. So David begins by saying this, that he is offering this prayer for salvation and vindication. He's asking to be saved. He's asking to be vindicated. He's asking to be heard. But now the psalmist describes the character of his enemies. It's so important here. Watch here in verse three. He says, for strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. And what he says here is that there are two things, two different enemies. First, he says strangers. And I found it interesting that as you go back to the original language, in the Psalms, this phrase strangers often means other covenant people. These are family members. This is part of the people of Israel. I call them family enemies. Maybe you've struggled with them. People in your own family that have turned their backs upon you. You remember the Ziphites were part of the tribe of Judah. They were part of David's own people. They should have been the ones to protect him, but they turned their back upon him. But he doesn't stop there where he says strangers or family enemies. He says that there are ruthless men. And usually in the Psalms, this meant invaders or foreign enemies, ruthless men. So we have foreign enemies and we have family enemies, but there's a character quality for both of them. Whether they're strangers or ruthless people, there's a character quality. And you see in the very last line of verse three, they do not set God before themselves. They do not fear God. Paul talked about this quality in Romans chapter three, where he says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. They do not elevate God. They do not make much of God. They minimize God. So the psalmist offers a prayer for salvation and vindication. The psalmist describes the character of his enemy, family enemies, foreign enemies, but they fear not God. So now he's made his request in prayer. One thing before we move from this section is this. His prayer was specific. He specifically asked for a request, and he specifically described his char- the character of his enemies. We would be wise to do the same as we pray to God. Well, now he moves from request in prayer to reassurance in the person and promises of God. Look here in verses 4 and 5. It says this, 
Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. Verses 4 and 5. Now, what we find here is this, and I find this interesting. The psalmist begins this whole first part of the psalm by describing the character of God. He describes the character of God. Now, he just previously described the character of his enemies. Now he's going to describe the character of God. And he starts with this idea of names. Now, look here in verse 1. He says, save me by your what? Name. And then jump down to verse 6. What does it say? In the middle section there, it says, what begins with this, with a free will offering I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to what? Your name. So the psalm seems to be bracketed by this idea of name, but I found it really interesting that the psalmist used three different names for God in this very short psalm. In verse 1 and 2, and then again in verse 4, he says God, right? O God, verse 1, O God, verse 2, and behold God, verse 4. That name of God is Elohim, and Elohim is the creator God the provider God. So he begins the psalm by looking to God as his creator. But then watch what he does here in verse four. He says, behold, God, Elohim is my helper. The Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D. That word is Adonai. And Adonai means ruler of the world. So he, he looks at God as his creator. Now he looks at God as the ruler of the world which is so important. And then jump with me to verse 6. It says this, With a freewill offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, which we just watched and looked at. And then it goes what? O Lord. Now watch there. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is the covenantal name for God, the name Yahweh. So he looks at God and he says, first, you're my creator God, Elohim, and that you're my Adonai, my ruler, and that you're my Lord, Yahweh, personal God. And so David, as he is getting overwhelmed by his enemies, he wants to get himself overwhelmed with the character of God. And not only does he look at God's names, but he looks at God's works. Look at what he says. In verse one, he says, save me and vindicate me. In verse 2, he says, hear me, give ear to my name, uh, my words. And then, what does he say? That God is his helper. Help me. Uphold me, verse 4. Conquer my enemies. Be faithful, Lord. Deliver me, Lord, in verse 7, for he has delivered me from every trouble. That when David looked at God, he looked at the character of God in comparison to the character of his enemies, and he was overwhelmed with the creator God. He was overwhelmed with the ruler God, and he was overwhelmed with the personal God that was with him. So now David has moved from the request in prayer, verses 1 through 3, and the reassurance in the person and promises of God, verses 4 and 5 and some other verses, and now he ends with what? A response in praise, a response of praise, verses six and seven. It says this, with a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. 
David vows to praise the Lord. What does he say? With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. Now, it is possible that he meant the free will offering mentioned in the Pentateuch. But it is also possible that he meant, I voluntarily offer a sacrifice to you. I think that's what he means here, that he is voluntarily offering a sacrifice to God, that as he's been going through these struggles and these trials, he has committed himself to pray, and then he's committed himself to praise, which is so informative for us. He says, I voluntarily give this to you. And what kind of sacrifice is he offering God? He's offering him a sacrifice of thanksgiving, a sacrifice of praise. And then finally, in verse seven, what do we see here? For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Now, there is a question about this. When did David write this? Did David write this after Saul was conquered and that David was placed on the throne? That's possible. That David could be looking back at his time in the wilderness, wilderness of Ziph. He could have been looking back at what the Ziphites had done by betraying him. That's possible. But I believe that in all likelihood, David is writing this from the wilderness of Ziph. He is writing this still with the hope that God and the promise of God in his heart. You remember what we saw it in 1 Samuel where Jonathan had strengthened his hand and it reminded him of the promise of God? I think that David heard that and then went and penned this psalm. Why is that important? Watch here in verse 7. He says, for he has delivered me. Who? God has delivered me. The Lord, the Lord has delivered me. Yahweh has delivered me. Adonai Elohim has delivered me. And then he says, my eyes have looked in triumph on my enemies. So this is what overwhelms me about this. He's writing it, what, in the past tense. And that's why some commentators believe that David is writing this after Saul has been defeated and after David is out of the wilderness of Ziph. But I don't believe that that's the case. If you go back to that passage in 1 Samuel, when Jonathan came there and strengthened his hand in God and reminded him that he is going to be king, he reminded him of God's promises. I believe at that moment in time, David was so encouraged that he wrote this psalm and that when he talks about the enemies defeated, he writes in the past tense because he believes the promises of God are so true that he could write it as though it has already happened. What an amazing amount of trust and faith and confidence in God. So the psalmist ends this with a response of praise. He vows to praise God, and then he is fully assured that his prayer for deliverance will be answered, even before it was. So I end with this. The big things in this psalm to me are this. Vindicate me. Justification. You need to be made right with God, and the only way you will be made right with God is to look upon the Lord Jesus Christ alone as your Savior and your Lord. The second thing is the enemies, multiple enemies, family enemies, foreign enemies, but these enemies do not fear God. But then what David did was he moved from the character of God, I mean character of his enemies, to the character of God, which we desperately need to do. I want you to get caught up in the names of God, that God is Elohim, your creator God, that God is Adonai, your ruling God, and that God is 
Yahweh, your personal God. And so, as you go through the troubles and the trials and the significant times of hurt and betrayal, you must place your faith in and worship your creator God, your ruling God, your personal God. Make your request in prayer like David did. Make those prayer requests specific. Then reassure yourself in the person and promises of God. Place your confidence in him. Remember his name. Remember his works. And then respond in praise. David often does that. Did you notice that? He begins with prayer. He goes to the promises. He ends with praise. That's a really good model for our lives. So would you pray with me? So Lord, I I pray today that as we go through these times of feeling betrayed and abandoned and hopeless, when, when we believe that there's no one that we can trust in, remind us that we can always trust in your trustworthiness, your faithfulness. Father, I pray that you would remind us that you are the one who provided our salvation or planned our salvation and that Lord Jesus Christ is the one that provided our salvation. Your Holy Spirit is the pledge of our salvation. Praise you for that. I thank you that you vindicate us and justify us because of the precious work of your Son, that you look upon us in Christ as though we lived Christ's perfect life, that we lived his righteous life. We're not just simply um, neutral in your sight, we are righteous in your sight. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of prayer. It's an underutilized tool in our Christian arsenal, but I thank you for the fact that you have given us the opportunity to hear us and to give your ear to us. Thank you for your help. Thank you uphold us. Thank you that you conquer our enemies. Thank you that you deliver us. So, Father, I pray that we would just praise you. Help us to be so satisfied in your Son. Help us to model him and honor him and praise him for all he's done. Empower us by your Spirit to look more and more like your Son and help us to bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings. This has been Lessons for Life with James Long Jr. We hope you've been blessed. For more information, go to jameslongjr.org.